Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, should we expect the 30-06 to be offered with faster twist barrels the way some 270s are now? We're also going to find out what happens if you shoot long-range sideways sideways <laughs> let's try not to get sideways on this episode of ron's Bomer outdoors podcast welcome everyone we have a question from a patron on patreon this is billy he says rifle makers are starting to make the 270 winchester with a faster twist barrel do you think they'll follow that up by doing it with the 30 6 well, I wrote Billy right back and said, hey, Billy, thanks for joining us on Patreon. We much appreciate that. As the 30-06 twist rates go, no, I don't think manufacturers will increase twist rates because as currently rifled, the 30-06 stabilizes bullets from about 100 grains through 220 grains. Those are lead core round nose bullets, that last one. If you get a spire point, it might not. At any rate, the uh, 220 grain bullet is about maximum weight for the 30-06 powder supply to push adequately fast. Anyone wishing to shoot heavier, longer, higher BC bullets that might not stabilize in the current 1-in-12 or 1-in-10 twist 30-06s, they will usually roll with the 300 Winchester Magnum and larger. I find the 30-06 performance optimized with a 165 to 168 grain bullet with a high BC, like the 190 grain Nosler Acubond long range. Excellent for heavier game and longer reach. <laughs> so that's my answer on the 30-06 and fast twist. I just don't think we're going to go there. Of course, I could be wrong. It's happened once or twice before. And here's another quick one from a Patreon, Dustin. Thanks for getting back to me on a previous question. First, any idea when your rifle book will be available on your website? And second, what is a good book to get started learning about home reloading? Thanks for your time. Well, Dustin, any hand-loading manual, they're basically recipe books, are a great starting point. So the Nosler book, the Hornady Spear, Sierra, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. 
We are nearing the final edits on my 7mm cartridges book, so should be out later this fall. So right now, I would say we're looking at the end of October, maybe into mid-November, depending how the publisher gets everything set up and ready to go. But I finished writing it, and we're doing the final edits, so looking forward to that one. All right, now what is coming up next here? We've got oh, some questions about books, more books. Mystic, what books should I read to understand all this technical stuff about guns? I'm an enthusiast, but I really need to learn enough to be an amateur. <laughs> We're going to move from enthusiast to amateur. All right. You might even be a pro here by the time you're done reading. I saw this question earlier, so I grabbed a few books out of the library here. The hand-loading manuals really have the good basic information about cartridges and bullets and powders and burning rates and just a lot of good material in there. They're more than just recipes. And almost everyone who makes a bullet has one of these hand-loading books. And the powder companies do as well. Hodgson has a great one out. So look for some of those to get started. And then there are all sorts of classics. And my gosh, there are dozens and dozens of books that have been written about understanding how guns work. Of course, Jack O'Connor back in the middle of the 20th century was kind of the king of doing this. I have a couple of his right here, the complete book of rifles and shotguns and the hunting rifle. And you might think, well, gosh, middle of the 20th century, that's pretty outdated stuff, right? No, not really, because he covers the basics of pressures and barrels and how actions work and lots of good solid information that still applies. He's not covering the AR-15 style rifles, but everything else is pretty much in there. And then if you really want to get into ballistics and such, we just uh, discovered this one, Ammunition Demystified, the Non-Bubba's Guide to Ammo and How It Really Works by Jeff Seward. So I would recommend that one. This one's pretty dense stuff. You know, this is for, well, he's an engineer, so you can imagine how it is written. <laughs> it takes a little bit of interpretation, but if you uh, study on it, you really learn the facts because this gentleman worked for something like 40 years with ballistics and in the military as well as private arms kinds of stuff. And then there are books by Brian Litz. He's with Burger Bullets, and he is another engineer who really spells it out for you and helps you understand what is going on with bullets in flight. So he has, I think, three or four books out, a couple of them right here, Modern Advancements in Long-Range Shooting and Accuracy and Precision for Long-Range Shooting. You don't have to be a long-range shooter to get a lot of good information out of that. But as I said earlier, there are Dozens and dozens of books that have been written over the years on guns and shooting. There's the annual Gun Digest. Um, there are different gun magazines. There's a great place to get started because they really focus um, article by article on a very narrow topic. So you don't feel like you're a little overwhelmed with a big book. But yeah, definitely read, read, read. And of course, you can get some good information on the Internet, but you never know on there if it's just some fly-by-night guy who thinks he's a ballistician like me uh, or, or the real thing whereas with the books you know they usually vet those people to make sure they're not just buying uh, anything they've got to got to put some money into selling these things so they better double check to make sure it's right so that's not to say there's not some great information on the internet i know i see brian litz gets on there now and then he probably well go to the websites uh, Burger Bullets website, Hornady's website, Nosler's, all of them. There'll be some good information there as well. 
All right, uh, what else do we have here? Questions on the 22 long rifle from a podcast I did earlier. Budman asks this. Oh, maybe he's telling us something. Ron, CZ has a 455 with a 20 and a half inch blue steel American barrel conversion kit in 22 Winchester Magnum rimfire. The barrel has the same 22 long rifle American factory contour with a 1 and 16 inch twist. The kit also includes a five round 22. Uh, WMR magazine. Oh, that is in response to a question from an Australian who was looking for a switch 22 long rifle to 22 win mag. And the only thing I could come up with was a revolver that you could switch out the revolver cylinder in order to cover both of those. He did not want to switch barrels, but we heard from a lot of people suggesting these switch barrel kits. This was a conversion kit. I assume that's take one barrel off, put the other barrel on, but I'm not real sure. You might want to look that up. It's a CZ model 455 American barrel conversion kit. Uh, and on the same topic from someone called Coffee Grounds, he says, for our Australian friend, I recommend the CZ 457. It's very easy to swap barrels, calibers with basic tools. And then Kirk says, you're correct about Heritage Arms offering the 22 long rifle and 22 mag convertible. Just change the cylinder. They also have a model with a 16-inch barrel so you can attach a buttstock. Shooting a stock revolver requires a different technique to avoid powder burns on your wrists. <laughs> That's because of the gap between the cylinder and the bore. CZ offers, I think, a bold action that swaps barrels with a single screw. This might be a better choice for a friend down under. Yeah, that's uh, like three recommendations for the CZ right there. Oh, there's also the Saco. I saw a lot of responses from folks saying there's a Saco switch barrel system. Uh, there's one, I think, that you can go four different barrels on it. And they're all rim fires, 17, I think it's a 17 Mach 2, 17 HMR, 22 long rifle, 22 win mag. So check out the Sacos and the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com see what they've got all right now i think we got to go to the mystery questions coming in here on the computer see if they can fool me again this is from massachusetts someone named kyle ron i'm uh, bringing my 17 year old daughter on a hog hunt this spring i have bought her a savage axis left hand chambered for the 350 legend we have practiced with the Winchester Full Metal Jacket 145 grain load. I was planning on using the Winchester Extreme Points in 150 grains for the hunt. With shots at or less than 50 yards, do you think the Extreme Points will offer enough penetration? I've been hesitant to move up to the 170 or 180 grain due to the recoil and limited availability of ammo. 
I'm probably overreaching, but is this a first hunt with, but this is a first hunt with and for my daughter, and I want to make it perfect. <laughs> well, Kyle, more power to you for taking your daughter and exposing her to the, the proper ways of working with firearms and hunting. Good luck on that hunt, and I think you'll do okay with that 150-grain bullet. Uh, the extreme point is a fairly soft cup and core bullet with a little bit wider polymer tip than most of the polymer tip bullets. So it is set up to expand rather quickly. Um, unless you're taking a really steep angled shot on a hog, just go for that behind the shoulder shot and I think you'll be fine. I think you'll even go through the shoulder with it, but it probably will not exit. It will probably explode or break up inside. But that all depends again on how far you're away from your target when you hit it. I always remember a time I was hunting in Texas and I shot a hog. It was about a probably an 80 to 100 pounder. Um, and I shot it with a 221 fireball with a 50 grain varmint bullet. I think it was a VMAX bullet from Hornady because we were actually hunting coyotes when this happened. But of course, the ranchers always want you to get rid of those feral pigs. So I took a shot at it running across the field and it went a little ways farther and rolled over. And that little 50 grain varmint bullet penetrated behind the shoulder and lodged against the skin on the far side of the other shoulder, which is sort of classic performance for a deer bullet. Um, and you would think, gosh, in a little 221 fireball with that tiny little varmint bullet, wouldn't that explode? Well, that that pig was out there at 150 yards or so, so the bullet had slowed down enough to where it performed like a classic cup and core deer bullet out of a larger caliber. So there's, it's really hard to say, but extreme points can work darn well. I even used one in a 270 once, 130 grain behind the shoulder of an elk, big bull elk, six by six, and it took him out. So I think you'll do okay. Good luck to you and your daughter, Kyle. And thanks for exposing her to hunting the proper way. Really appreciate it. Adam from Virginia. Ron, thanks for addressing my question earlier and for a great podcast. I've enjoyed so many of them. Well, thank you, Adam. We appreciate that. My new question is this. What kind of rifle and cartridge would you select if you hunted areas where a 100-yard shot would be considered long range? I hunt in West Virginia, and those river knobs are steep, rocky, and brushy. We mainly use marlins in 3030. I know today it's all about long range, but many of us hunt in nasty stuff. So I'm just curious on your thoughts. Thanks again. Well, boy, that's an easy one, Adam, because 100 yards and in, you can use nearly anything and probably easily 200 yards and in. Even the 30-30 with a blunt-nosed bullet has what we would call a rainbow trajectory. It doesn't have that flat of a trajectory, but you can easily get a maximum point-blank range to 200 yards with those. So 100 yards, piece of cake, <laughs> zero in at 100 yards and don't worry about it. Um, I like to zero, say, my 30-30s at 150 yards because that puts your maximum trajectory above your line of sight at maybe two and a half inches. And then it drops, obviously, to your sighting distance at 150 yards, and then it begins to fall. But by 200 yards, you're still probably looking at only a three to four inch drop. So that makes your 30-30 a dead-on hold for anything you see for a quick shot in the woods out to 200 yards. So for 100 yards, piece of cake. So, and as far as the sizes and the calibers and all the rest of it, gosh, pretty much anything works. 
I mean, I'm, most folks say, oh, you should never hunt deer with a 22, but there are so many hunters who are successful with a careful shot, proper shot placement, uh, using a 223 or a 22 250. The 243s, the six millimeters of all types, work really well inside of those distances, especially. And uh, the good old 257 Roberts, any of the 25s, 25 on 6, 257 Weatherby, you probably don't need that high speed stuff where you're at. But the point is, the lighter bullets at speed can do a remarkably effective job. Probably not your optimum choice for hunting in, in heavy brush. So if you want to stick with the larger, heavier bullets with lower velocities, then you're right back into that 3030, 35 Remington, 32 Special. These days, the 350 Legend, the 400 Legends coming on strong, and now the 360 Buckhammer. Those are all great and easy targeting at 100 yards with those. So yeah, pretty much the sky is the limit on this one. Um, if I don't know if I were you hunting in West Virginia, where you're looking at 100 yards and in, you really can't go wrong with that 30-30. But there are some modern iterations that you might enjoy more, including even some of these really short ones that fit and work well in the AR-15 platforms. So, boy, lots of choices here. It's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> enjoy it. All right, Ryan from Northwest Indiana. I don't think I've ever hunted Northwest Indiana. Ron, maybe you can help me make a decision. I've expanded my little firearms collection to include some oddball calibers. Well, they're odd to me anyway. The 7x55, 7.5x55 Swiss, that is an unusual one. The 3040 Krag, that used to be a U.S. official military cartridge. 7.7 Japanese, 4570 government, that's pretty common. 8mm JS and some more. I know all of these calibers will do the job for whitetails and be overbore for any coyotes that may come my way here in Indiana. In parentheses, Indiana has opened up private land hunting to a variety of other calibers outside of the previous slug and straight-walled cartridges between 1.16 and 1.8 inch in case length with a diameter of 0.357 and bigger. Boy, that sounds like some bureaucratic uh, red tape, doesn't it? Uh, essentially, what he's saying is he can now shoot some normal cartridges, I guess. But if you had to choose one, which would you choose and why? Oh, boy, putting me on a spot here. I also reload for these, which opens the door for any interesting cartridge and bullet combinations that might set one above the rest. To also specify, all these rifles shoot well enough between one to two and a half MOA, so more than good enough for minute of deer. Thanks for any input, and I appreciate all the content you put out, Ryan. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Ryan. Now, let me see if I can go back and figure out what I need to say here to answer this. Um, if I had to choose one of those, golly, I'm not all that familiar with any of them, and I think as you've already spelled it out, they're all going to work. I would be really interested in that 8mm Mauser. The 8mm JS you mentioned is the official or was the official German military round in World War One and Two. Uh, the JS was the latest iteration where they went uh, to a larger diameter bullet. They first started off with a 0.318 inch diameter bullet around 1988. And then the early 1900s, I think 1902 or something like that, they increased the diameter to 0.323. So it's roughly like a 30-06 in its performance, but obviously it's a larger diameter bullet. 
but the case capacity and the velocities and everything, you pretty much expect the same thing you would from a 30-yard six for performance on game. And the 30-40 Crag, that's a step up from the 30-30. Uh, you're going to be shooting pointed bullets, so you get a big advantage there because of the efficiency. So you can expect better performance in the 30-30, more like, we'll say, uh, a light load in the 308 Winchester or a good 300 Savage load. Not a lot of people know, know that one anymore either, but that'll more than do the job for what you're talking about. And whereas the 7.7 7 Jap 75 by 55 Swiss, a little harder to come by. I think you're going to find a fair number of the 7.7 .7 Japs that came over after World War II as booty from the troops. And a lot of those were sold as surplus, I think, back in the day. But I'm just not familiar with the ballistics on that one. I'm sure it's going to be more than sufficient to do the job. I would roll with that 8 millimeter because I think you're going to find more ammunition options for it. But if you're hand-loading, sky's the limit. Go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope that answered it for you, Ryan. I think you're going to probably do what you think is best here anyway, and that's what I would advise. Although if you do pick the one I picked and you don't like it, then you can blame me and you don't have to take responsibility. That's a nice option. All right, let's go to Pennsylvania. Boy, everything's coming out of the east here today. Pennsylvania, Mark. Ron, I have what may be the last opportunity for an elk hunt coming up in October of this year, 2023. Man, we're right on the heels of that. I have some physical issues highlighted by fibromyalgia all through my back and hips, and I'm not sure I'll be physically able to handle more Western hunts. Oh, that's too bad. Sorry to hear it, Mark. Let's see what we can help you with here. I will be hunting in New Mexico's Unit 34, either by draw or landowner tag. That's hope I draw. By now he knows that, but when he wrote this, he sure didn't. I have a new 7mm 08 Remington, and I have read and watched every last word you've had on that cartridge. Selecting it is now at least partly your fault. Oh, boy. <laughs> what did I just get done telling this other gentleman? Blame it on me. <laughs> well, let's see how he goes on here. What else, Mark? Here's Mark's question. The Barnes 120 grain TTSX shoots 0.40 inches at 100 yards for me. He has got precision out of this 708. I know that's a capable elk round at, say, 300 yards or less, but I feel that I'm limited to broadside only with the 120. I'm working on 150 grain TTSX load in the meantime, but I have to wonder, am I overcompensating with the 150? <clears throat> if the 150 will do respectable groups, Am I better off with the extra weight of that bullet to drive through a shoulder if such a shot is presented or to carry it an extra 150 yards? With limited bullet options off the shelf at this point and in the poor BC ballistics of the 140 TTSX compared to the 120 and the 150, am I just overthinking a simple solution? <laughs> Thank you and keep up the awesome work, Mark. Mark, I think, yeah, you might be overthinking it, but not really. I mean, there's never anything with wrong, anything wrong with really being concerned about what your cartridge and bullet is going to do. I mean, that's what all of us responsible hunters are searching for when we work with different options and loads and consider what they're going to do for performance. But I can tell you this about the 120 grain TSXX. I have loaded it in my 284 Winchester. And of course, because it's a lighter bullet, with the same powder capacity as you're used to driving those heavier bullets, it's going to be going a lot faster. That increases this energy. But again, because it's a little bit shorter, it has a lower uh, sectional density and a lower 
um, ballistics coefficient. And the ballistic coefficient, of course, means it's not going to be as aerodynamically efficient to maintain its high velocity and higher energies after certain downrange. And I'd have to look at some ballistic charts to know if that's going to be a serious issue at 300 yards or 400 yards or not until 500 yards. I think you're fine inside of 300 yards and you're probably going to do all right at 400 because the TTSX Barnes bullets, all copper, hollow point, the nose is open. Well, but the point is hollow, but it's got a little polymer tip on it. That's the tipped triple shock. But that tip's going to drive back into that hollow and it's going to expand into that classic four pedal shape of the X bullet. And they penetrate really well because they don't lose any mass, unlike most lead core bullets, where even if the lead is bonded, you still lose quite a bit of it just to erosion against the tissues as it penetrates. So I always find that the tip triple shocks and the standard triple shocks, pretty much all of those copper bullets, all copper bullets retain so much weight that they penetrate a step or two higher in bullet weight. So if you expect the penetration, say, of a, a classic 150-grain bullet, and you're now using 120-grain all-copper TTSX, I think the copper TTSX will penetrate as well as, or even a little better than the 150, certainly the 140. So you're really losing not much on your penetration there. And then the impact energy really doesn't have that much to do with, with killing anything. You've got to get one heck of a huge hammer to uh, show some effect on game. If you don't doubt that, Try to shoot some heavy objects with fairly heavy cartridges and notice how it does not knock them to the far side of the county line. <laughs> I was just shooting some uh, chunks of log the other day. I will often get a 25 to 30 pound chunk of maple that stops the bullet because it's so hard. And then I can tell how much that bullet's energy is pushing that log and it won't move them. To Sometimes they just tip over. And this is with 30 out sixes and 4570s and all kinds of big bullets. So that, that's an eye opener because you go, well, wait a minute. If I can't even push over a 25 pound chunk of firewood, how am I going to push over an elk? I've got to be damaging tissue. That's what your bullet needs to do. So I wouldn't worry about it. I think your 120 grain is going to break the shoulder bone if you hit it and penetrate to reach the vitals. Miss the shoulder bone and you're going to go through the lungs and heart and probably lodge against the skin on the other side or maybe even punch through, even with that light little bullet. Um, as a fudge factor, and I had my druthers, I probably would go with a 150 grain on an elk, but I wouldn't hesitate to grab that 120 and, and take a good shot. Just make sure you're making a good shot. Shot precision, shot placement is always job one, even with a bad bullet. So, uh, and it sounds like your rifle is grouping well enough to get that done. So congrats on that. It sounds like you're doing everything right, Mark. And At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right. 
and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Good luck on your hunt. All right. Now we're moving a little further west. Now we're in Iowa. Austin, there's plenty of cartridges that are capable of taking the biggest game in North America. Boy, you've got that right, Austin. Yet the Alaska guides won't allow anything less than a 375 caliber for non-residents to hunt brown bear. I hadn't heard that before. This must just be a certain guide. I don't think that's a regulation because I've hunted them uh, up there with less than a 375 caliber. Maybe I, I should have been arrested. <laughs> any rate, Austin continues. It's not like living in Alaska automatically makes you a better shot than a non-resident. Using such a big caliber with limited or no experience could arguably be more dangerous than using a smaller yet still capable caliber that the hunter is used to. That's a good point, Austin. So why do non-residents have to deal with this prejudice? Especially when the price difference for a non-resident that doesn't know anyone in Alaska has to pay can be over $30,000 more than just to buy the guide so they can hunt the same species like the brown bear as an Alaskan resident can hunt for a couple of hundred dollars. Okay, so we've got a couple of issues going on here with Austin. First of all is the exorbitant cost of hunting in Alaska for non-residents. Second is this prejudice against what you can and can't carry. The last one I don't think is legit. Uh, unless they've changed the regulations since the last time I hunted up there, you didn't have to have a 375. My buddy took a brown bear with a 338 Win Mag. And at the time, I was hunting with a 375 that time, but it was a 375 Ruger, which is same, pretty much the same ballistics as a 375 H and H. But that was the first time I ever hunted with a 375 up there. Um, the other time I was hunting brown bear with a 300. What was it? No, by golly, it was a 375. It was the the old 375 Weatherby Magnum. Don't see much of that anymore. Uh, but I didn't even get a shot at a bear that time. At any rate, there are a lot of people who hunt bears up there with rifles that aren't 375, 338s, and even 300 Magnum. So I don't think that's legit. But you're certainly right about the cost. And I don't know what to say about that. Wyoming is similar in that to hunt these wilderness species like sheep, you have to use a guide. And I think the idea is, one of the ideas, is that a guide is going to keep a greenhorn from dying in the wilderness. I mean, if you've never hunted in harsh conditions in mountain wilderness, you know, you could get lost, you could get hurt, you could... Uh, die from exposure, blah, blah, blah. Your guide is supposed to be able to prevent that. Um, why the government should say that they can force you to do that while the backpackers can go wherever they want or a backcountry fisherman can go wherever he wants or somebody hunting coyotes can go back in the mountains as far as the sheep hunter. Only when it comes to the sheep uh, or the brown bears or whatever the animal is, oh boy, that's a good question. Now, part of the answer might be well, you might not know how to take care of the meat. So you're out there and you shoot a big bear or a moose or something. And then you go, oh my gosh, how do I get all this meat home without it spoiling first? They're concerned about something like that. And that's valid. I can appreciate that. But I think the bigger part of this is political pressure and economic pressure. You've got an industry that is making pretty good money taking guys out hunting. 
and they need clients. And if everybody comes up there thinking, well, I can get by without a guide, not only will you potentially get in trouble and lose your meat and et cetera, et cetera, but you're costing good money for people who are employed as guides and outfitters. <laughs> so that political pressure that they bear come to bear on this whole thing, I think drives a lot of it. Because as I've said, you can go out backpacking to the same places and you don't need a guide and it doesn't cost you $30,000. The $30,000 price is, of course, what the market will bear. The guides and the outfitters say, I need clients. Um, I want to take them on a sheep hunt, a bear hunt, moose hunt. Uh, if I charge them $10,000, I'll bet you I'll get a client real fast. But then I'll find out that the cost of getting that client from point A to point B and getting the game and feeding him and breaking down the camp and flying it back out again and an eight number of trips going back and forth, I just lost money. So I got to crank the rates up. And then they're going to get to the point where they go, wow, I'm making plenty of money at 20000 but I've got a list of guys who want to go for like 10 years long. I might as well raise the price to 30000 and I'll still get half of them. Things like that. It's just human nature and it all ties together, but that's what's going on. But at least you don't have to use a 375 caliber, to my knowledge. Double check that. Maybe they just changed the regulations. True. Okay. Now that we've gotten done with the eastern states all the way to the Midwest, we're going to take a big mighty leap to South Africa. Vaughn from South Africa. I love the 375 Weatherby Magnum, but I am also interested and curious about the 375 Remington Ultra Magnum. Go big or go home, Vaughn. So I would like to know if you had the chance or the choice of the two cartridges, which one would you choose to hunt dangerous game in South Africa? I'm looking to purchase either, but I'm not sure which one and the ammo availability. I'm curious what your thoughts will be. P.S. I truly enjoy your videos. That's the important part. Glad you added that one, Vaughn. <laughs> now, let's see if I can answer your questions here about the 375s in Africa. The 375 Weatherby Magnum, I just spoke about that in the previous. How often does this happen? In the previous question, I was mentioning that I'd hunted bear up in Alaska with it. The 375 Weatherby Magnum is essentially the 375 H&H case with the walls straightened out quite a bit and then Roy's famous double radius shoulder stuff on it. So it's got a little more velocity than the old H&H, &H, but not a heck of a lot of difference in it. I didn't even get a chance to shoot at a bear with it, so I can't tell you how it would have performed, but... I don't think anybody's too confused about it. It's throwing the same bullets, maybe 100 feet per second faster. So why not? The problem is ammunition. I don't know that anyone commercially loaded ammunition for the 375 Weatherby Magnum except for Weatherby. So I don't know what your supplies are like over there in South Africa, but even over here, it's kind of hard to find. You're probably going to have to deal directly with Weatherby or one of their dealers in a gun shop someplace. Um. That's the only thing I would say about that. Unless you're a hand loader, then you don't have any issues. Now, the 375 rum, that is a monster cartridge. You know, it's full length magnum size, like the 375 H&H, &H, uh, but it's fatter. So you're going to have a big, heavy rifle to really get your um, full velocity potential out of it. I think you got to have at least a 26 inch barrel, if not a 28. If you're hunting dangerous game in Africa, you don't want a big, unwieldy, long barrel like that. Uh, 24 inches is kind of the standard and there are quite a few guys who think they need to cut a couple of inches off that, especially if they're consistently hunting really thick uh, cover where you've got to respond quickly to a potential charge. So I don't know that you want to go with all the powder required to burn in a 375 Remington Ultra Magnum. 
but you are certainly going to have more energy in your bullet. You'll be able to shoot the heaviest bullets to the highest velocities. You're going to have a lot of recoil to deal with. But I think it's been pretty much proven that you don't really gain a heck of a lot on an African dangerous game shot with more velocity. Velocity is valuable for additional reach, but the additional energy it puts into your bullet really doesn't seem to make that much difference. You're still just needing to penetrate to and through the vitals to cause the hemorrhaging or reach the central nervous system. And in the old days when folks like John Taylor were going on and on about the best cartridges for stopping elephants and rhino and stuff, um, and especially buffalo, they were talking about going for the central nervous system brain shots and what the thump of the bullet would do to shock that animal if you just missed the brain, especially on an elephant. If you miss the brain by an inch, they always say you can shoot him with a 600 Nitro Express, miss by an inch, and he's going to wake up and run off and be just fine because there's just a lot of honeycombing and bone structure there. You've got to catch the brain. And then as Bell proved with the 757 and even some 6.5 millimeters, if you hit the brain, he's just as dead as if you'd hit him in the brain with a 600 with a 600 grain bullet or 700 grain bullet or anything you want to throw up there. So you don't gain a heck of a lot by increasing the velocity of, say, a 300 grain bullet in a 375. I think you could stick with a good old H&H &H and do just fine with a 375 Ruger. I like that one because then you're looking down to a 30-06 length action, keeping your rifle maybe a little handier. So you might want to consider that. But obviously, you're Access to ammunition, 375 H&H, &H, really, you, you just can't beat it. And years over the years, I've never really gotten what I considered good performance out of the 375 H&H, &H, which astounds most people. They think it's absolutely perfect. But I was having more problems and seeing others have problems with good hits on game Kudu, uh, Waterbuck, Buffalo, and not getting the kind of response that you would think. Um, and animals even getting away and, and having to be tracked for hours. Um, so I just thought, I don't see what all the noise is about this 375 H&H. &H. It's not working for me. But then a year ago, I tried some 270 grain Hammer Hunter bullets, all copper. The nose pedals are designed to break off, cause some peripheral damage as they spread. But the shank is designed to have a square front for that cavitation effect and straight line penetration. And I was amazed at how effective those were. Now, I did increase my velocities 100 to 200 feet per second over the book recommendations for that weight of a bullet. And I think it's because of there is less shank touching the bore, so there's less friction. At any rate, the effect was markedly different than the 300 grain bullets over the years that I'd seen and used myself. So now I am pretty high on the 375 H&H with that particular bullet. And if I lived in Africa and had more opportunities, I would experiment more and more. But so far, it's taken three buffalo. Um, two of them were one-shot kills. One of them was a brain shot, so that's duh. Um, the other one were three shots to the chest, but they were all effective. Uh, ended up against the hide in the far side with the shoulder shot on a big bull. So that worked. So you might want to try that too and just pay a little more attention to the bullets rather than just the cartridge, Vaughn. But again, you're going to do just fine with any of those. I think the rum really is overkill, but there are some people who just absolutely love that additional power. And if you're one of them, and can handle the recoil and the extra rifle and barrel length and weight, go for it. And let us know how it works for you.
All right, that was a good one. Now we're going to jump to another country, Alberta, Canada, northern Alberta. Barry, I've been shooting what was originally called a 7mm Remington Express. <laughs> That's a good one. Ever since that first model 700 came across the border. But my question would be the 280 Ackley Improved, which I have been shooting in the Kimber Model 84 ever since it became available. I shoot hand-loaded 168 grain bullets in a variety of hunting loads. Man, you're just singing my song here, Barry. An article on this caliber would be of great interest to me, and I'm sure a large group of your followers as well. Thanks again for the great information. All right, 280 Ackley Improved. I have written articles on it in several magazines. I've done blogs on it. Check my channel, ronspomeroutdoors.com, and just punch in 280 AI. I'm sure I've got one or two, if not more, blogs on the 280 AI. I want to say something about your 7mm Remington Express here for folks. That was a rename of the original 280 Remington cartridge. The 280 Remington came out in 1956 or 7. It was a 30-06 revamped, shoulder pushed forward a little bit, neck down to hold the 7mm bullet. They called it the 280. It was to compete against the 270. So folks who didn't like the 30-06 thought the 270 was maybe a little bit too light. This one landed smack in the middle. You could shoot heavier bullets than the 270, drive roughly the same velocities, etc., etc., didn't take off because they loaded it to lower pressures in auto loading and pump action rifles instead of the bolt actions. Then they put it in the bolt. And by that time, it was like, yeah, ho-hum. We've got our 270s and 30-06s. I don't think we're going to fool with it. So they changed the name to 7mm Remington Express. Sounds pretty neat, huh? Wow, must be going fast. Now it was the same old 280, but the name was close enough to <laughs> to the 7mm Remington Magnum that a lot of hunters bought the ammo, ran it through their 7mm Remington Magnum rifles and went, why doesn't this work? <laughs> Completely different cartridge size. The bullet diameter, thank goodness, and the bore size were the same, but you, you just couldn't get any. I, I don't know. I suppose in a few guns, it may have gone off, but generally it would just rattle around in the chamber and the primer wouldn't get hit by the firing pin. And that frustrated people. And then the ones who had uh, the rifle 7 millimeter Express and bought 7 rem mag ammunition couldn't even get it into the chamber. And then they were frustrated. So everybody just said, the heck with the 7 millimeter Remington Express. Oh, that was a disaster. I think it lasted two years, if that. And then they went back to 280. But the cool thing is, in between all that transition, they thought, why don't we just call it the 7mm-06? Because it had been around with that title as a Wildcat for quite a while, and folks knew it. And they were going to roll with that, and it actually made some ammunition head stamp that. And they decided, no, no, pull the plug. Let's go back to 280 Remington. But if some of that ammunition stayed alive and got traded around, and every once in a while, someone will say, look what I've got. This is a 280 Remington, but it's labeled the uh, 7mm-06. Pretty cool collector's piece. At any rate, now we're going to really improve this thing, and we're going to make the Ackley Improved, which is really catching on, getting uh, gaining a lot of steam. So what you do is you take your 280 AI by making a 280 Remington with a straighter wall, push the, for, uh, the shoulder to 40 degrees. You don't shove it forward anymore so your head space remains the same the distance from the closed bolt face to the shoulder inside of the chamber that stops the cartridge that's the same 
on the Ackley Improved. So you can take regular 280 Remington ammunition, fire it in your chamber of an AI, and all it does is expands the cartridge to the 280 AI configuration, and then you can hand load from there on out. So you gain maybe 100 feet per second velocity and your ammunition or your cases will last longer during your reloading process because they don't seem to flow as much. You don't have to do as much neck trimming. And it's gotten to be pretty popular. It's coming within about 100 feet per second of 7 millimeter Remington Magnum factory loads performance. So a lot of people are liking it. And Kimber has very wisely chambered it in their rifles. And I had one several years ago that shot consistently under MOA and quite often would do a three-shot group that was just at or under half minute of angle with factory ammunition from uh, Nosler it was. Great little rifle. Um, and a lot of people are loving that one. I got my first 280 AI from Lex Webernick, Rifles Incorporated, Rifles Inc. He's down in Texas. He built me one of his Strata stainless super lightweight rifles. That thing weighed about four and three quarter pounds or so, maybe five pounds. I scoped that up with a light little two and a half to eight. I think it was VX3 loophole. And that only weighs about 11 ounces. And I went sheep hunting in the Alaska mountains and moose hunting and elk hunting. And that thing did it all. I took game out to 450 yards with that little 280 AI. And it's pretty much lights out, even a moose. So it is a great cartridge. Anyone who's ever shot one seems to love it. You're going to do quite well with it. Um, now, I, I got the blathering on here so much about my enthusiasm for the 280 AI. I don't even know if I remember your question. Hmm. Oh, you just wanted me to have an article on it. No question. Yeah, you've already been sold on it, it looks like. So, yeah, look up uh, ronspomeroutdoors.com and then 280 Ackley Improved should pop up a blog or two that I've done on it. And I probably have a, a, a YouTube on my regular YouTube channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors. I probably have an episode on Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. The 280 AI in there as well. Well, before I close, I want to pull up a Crazy Harry. Crazy Harry is some guy who commented on one of my uh, videos, I think. And he's got a heck of a scenario here about shooting sideways. Now, who's going to shoot sideways? Uh, I suppose it's been happening a few times before, so let's just find out what Crazy Harry has to say. Ron, I have a theoretical scenario and a question for you. Say you're out hunting a large deer species and you have spotted the animal of a lifetime and it's almost sunset. He's 500 yards away in an open field and you are right on the edge of a forest with fallen trees blocking the way. Because the deer is very skittish, you know you'll not be able to get any closer. You're only shot. Lay on your side and shoot through a gap in the logs with your scope at 9 o'clock or 3 o'clock if you're a lefty. 
Which way is a bullet going to travel to the target? If you want to say you're shooting with a 7mm 08, 150, 165 grain soft point, the rifle's zero for 250 yards. Cheers from Australia, and thanks for your great hunting stories. Harry. Okay, let's get this straight. Harry's saying you've got to shoot this way. This is what he means by 9 o'clock or 3 o'clock. Yeah. So you're lying like this, shooting through a gap at an elk 500 yards away. Um, what's going to happen? I ran the ballistics on this one because I knew it was, you were not going to hit that animal. But I wanted to know what the numbers were. Let's see what I've come up with. I said, Harry, the deer will merely be displeased by the noise of your shot. Your bullet will never get within six feet of it. Your bullet might not even make the flight to 500 yards. Depending on the diameter of the gap in the brush you're shooting through, your bullet will likely strike a limb. But if you can avoid that, your bullet will probably hit the ground about 225 yards or so. And even if that doesn't happen, it'll likely land more than a foot to the left and six feet low. So if you're lying this way at that nine o'clock position, your scope is here, your bore is there, your bullet is going to go off to the left about 11 and a half inches at 500 yards. So I I ran the numbers with a 150 grain bullet, ballistics coefficient 0.5, 2,800 feet per second launch speed, zeroed at 2.3 inches high at 100 yards. Pretty typical stuff for a hunting setup. But why do you end up shooting to the left like that? This is a good explanation for that rising bullet theory that so many folks have. Your barrel is pointed like this and your bullet rises above your barrel board and never happens. Gravity is immediately pulling your bullet down. The only reason we think it rises is because we angle our barrels up in relation to the line of sight. So your bullet comes, say you're launching it an inch and a half below your scope sight. You point that barrel up so it crosses it at about 25 to 35 yards somewhere, and it keeps going up because you've aimed it up, just like throwing a ball from the outfield. And then it's always dropping. Gravity is always pulling it down. You've just got a different angle on it. Now let's turn that rifle. And now your barrel is angling to the left. You can see why you're going to end up 11 inches to the left of your target. You no longer have gravity pulling your bullet against your line of sight the way you do when your rifle is sitting the right way vertically. The bullet's not getting pulled down through your line of sight. It's getting pulled down through the horizontal bar of your reticle. And it is going at the angle your barrel pointed that way. And there's nothing out there that's changing that other than spin drift of your bullet a little bit. But... Uh, uh, you're going to end up 11 and a half inches according to the calculations I did with a ballistic calculator. And as far as hitting the ground at 225 yards, well, now your barrel, the bullet leaving your barrel, if you're dead level, this is a critical part of it. If you're lying by that log and you're not angling your gun up at any way, you're just shooting dead level toward that deer or elk. Your bullet, as I said earlier, is immediately being pulled by gravity when it leaves and as it goes downrange, it's slowed by air drag, and the gravity continues to pull it down at 32 feet per second squared. So it actually accelerates 32 feet per second. Every second, it accelerates 32 feet per second. Got a little bit of friction from air drag, even as it's being pulled down. Sounds kind of complicated, but this is what goes on out there. The upshot is, by the time it gets to about 225 yards, if you're lying on the ground, you're probably only this high off the ground. So it doesn't have to fall very far before it hits the ground. So it'll never make it to 500 yards. So yeah, here are the numbers that I came up with on that ballistic calculator. At 100 yards, you're going to be 2.3 inches drop. 
At 200 yards, 9.7. At 300 yards, 23 inches low. So, bam, you've already hit the ground. 400 yards, you'd be 43 inches low. At 500 yards, where that deer is, your bullet is going to have dropped 71 inches. This is why you can aim at his heart and you're just going to hit the ground in front of him a long ways. And just for giggles, at 1,000 yards, 32 feet of drop. So, that was a fun question. I really appreciate that, Crazy Harry. And I think it will help a lot of us to understand a little more about this rising bullet and, and what's going on with a normal setup. That's how it all works. Someday I'm going to do another one of these about a way in which you can shoot your rifle in which the bullet never drops down to hit your target, never falls through the line of sight. Uh, I think you can figure it out, but in case you can't, stay tuned. We'll cover it in another episode of Ron's Bummer Outdoors. Hey, those are the questions for today. I want to thank you all for sending those in. Uh, special thanks to all of our patrons, not just for the questions that they send in, but for their support. And we always say we keep these lights on with <laughs> your support money and uh, keep the cameras churning. So really appreciate it. Uh, until next time, hey, let's all hunt honest and shoot straight. Thanks for joining us. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.